The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is cruel, is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says there is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. The reading of God's word. At this time, children ages three through kindergarten are dismissed to Little Landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. I love Proverbs, and I love Proverbs 28, verse 1. In fact, we'll be focusing on just that one verse today, and the reason why I chose it is because it's had such a powerful effect on my life. It is one of the most important Proverbs in the whole Bible to me. In fact, it hasn't just taught me about what boldness is, it has actually worked it in me. 
And so I'm praying all the way through this summer proverb series that we're in the midst of that these verses won't just be something that you are entertained by or informed by or educated by, but you will have the very Word of God as the living Word of God work in you the very things it's teaching. Let's pray to that end one more time before we dive in. Father, would you cause me to be bold as a lion today? Would you cause me in my character over my life to be bold as a lion? Would you cause us not to flee when no one pursues as the wicked do, but cause us to be bold as a lion in all spheres of our lives? Work that in us, Lord, by the power of this verse and the verses we'll look at, because your word is not merely informative, but it is in fact transformative. Make us more like Christ because of these few minutes together, I pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Now achieve the boldness in us that you write about for us. In Christ's precious name, I pray. Amen. Solomon is here in the book of Proverbs, a father training his children. And in Proverbs 28 and 29, it's like their training has developed into the highest level. It's well into the book of Proverbs near the end. And Solomon, the kingly father, is is preparing for his children royalty as they grow up. They might be teenagers at this time. And he's giving them very strong, clear contrasts to say, sons and daughters, don't follow the wicked, but do in fact follow the righteous. If you look at Proverbs 28 and 29, you'll see actually that that contrast between the wicked and the righteous shows up four times, almost like like, uh, footings that undergird the structure of royalty that Solomon is giving to his nearly adult children. One is right here in Proverbs 28.1. Another one is at the very end of Proverbs. Look at verse 28. Notice how they both contrast the wicked and the righteous. Verse 28 says, When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when, the, when, they, when they perish, the righteous increase. And then two more verses at the beginning and end of chapter 29. They're like the turrets of a castle into which his children will take their residence as Israel's royalty. It's not only the form and structure of Proverbs 28 and 29, it's the main theme of Proverbs 28 and 29. The point of these two chapters is to say, sons and daughters of Solomon, sons and daughters of the living God, future monarchs of the kingdom of God, hear the voice of God as he holds out to you the wicked so that you flee from them and do not become like them and the righteous, so that you're drawn to them and you desire them deeply. Here in Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are described as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Do you know what the most common command in the Bible is throughout the whole Bible? What's the most common command? Fear not. Fear not. Boldness, in other words, courage, is the grand theme that works its way all the way through the Bible, Old and the New Testaments. What we love so much about Naomi and Ruth and Esther, what we love so much about the heroes of the Old and New Testaments, Paul and Peter and Stephen, is how bold they are. 
We're not as bold as we should be. I'm not as bold as I should be. We're not as bold as we should be. Listen to these brief readings from the book of Acts and notice the role of boldness in its power to gather and galvanize and energize and mobilize the early church. Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I heard you says the Lord. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does it look like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? They continue to speak the Word of God with all boldness. Or later on in the book of Acts, Acts 13, listen to the way boldness unites and mobilizes the church, even in the face of opposition. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Have you ever spoken out the word of God by the Spirit of God, boldly right in the face of people who hate it? There was a friend of mine who had been guilty of a crime, and he was being relocated in South Minneapolis in the 90s, and he was being spoken about in false and exaggerated and hateful ways inside a church building that was uh, a gathering of citizens concerned. After I heard a long list of people who didn't know the repentance and the conversion and the true grace that was at work in my fellow church member's life after he had served time in prison, but just spoke of him almost as if he were an animal. Something stirred in me. And at the end of the night when everyone had their chance at the microphone, the room was hot on a summer night and it was tiresome and people had spent their words against my brother I stood up to the microphone and I said, Jesus Christ is the greatest crime stopper in the world. And just like it did now, the place went silent. And I said, my friend is a new man because of Jesus Christ. Myself and my church pledge with all our hearts to help him walk as a new man. We invite your help and prayers. And I sat down. In Acts 28, 30 through 31, the Apostle Paul's ministry has come to its conclusion, at least in its written form in Acts. It's not concluded in his actual activity, as you can tell by the very last verses of Acts 28, marking the way the church shall continue to move on. After Paul is done and others like Peter and Barnabas and and Timothy and Epaphras and many others rise up after, you and me included, here's what it will be like. He lived there, Paul, two years at his own expense, welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. How? With all boldness and without hindrance. 
Boldness in the face of suffering, false doctrine, persecution, and all evil marks the true church of Jesus Christ in this sinful age. I turn to Spurgeon for help here. He preached a sermon on boldness, Charles Spurgeon, back in the 1850s. Here's what he said. Yet surely there must be some who will fling aside this cowardly love of peace and speak out for our Lord and for his truth. A craven spirit is upon man, said Spurgeon. Their tongues are paralyzed. Oh, for an outburst of true faith and holy zeal. Spurgeon modeled the very thing he cried out for. What keeps us from being bold? What keeps us from being bold? When it's time to speak out for Christ, what keeps us quiet? There's all kinds of forces going on within us. There's fear and there's shame and there's guilt. Proverbs 28.1 captures it magnificently like no other verse in the Bible. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I want the church at the landing in my own heart and my own family to be bold for Christ. Generous with the gospel. Bold with our forgiveness because we ourselves are living, breathing examples of what it's like to be forgiven of sin and loved by Christ. There's a famine in the land, as a dear brother and I spoke about earlier this week over lunch. There's a famine in Duluth, Minnesota. Duluth, Minnesota, and your unbelievers within your extended family need your boldness. Duluth needs our boldness. They need our boldness more than they need this church building to be bigger. The aim of making anything we do here like a service or singing or food or programming or ministries or a larger building or a parking lot, the aim of everything is to proclaim the joy we have in Christ boldly to the lost who will hear. I want to get at this verse by asking two pairs of questions. Here's the first pair. Pair number one. Who are the wicked and why do they flee when no one pursues? Who are the wicked and why do they flee when no one pursues? Look at verse 4, Proverbs 28, verse 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. So who are the wicked there? The wicked are those who are leading in law-breaking. The wicked are those who lead out in law-breaking. Others praise them and follow them. They are leaders in law-breaking, and they want nothing to do with those who keep the law of God. In fact, they strive against those who keep the law of God. The wicked repress the culture into hiding. The wicked, by definition, can't let various viewpoints be shared. Religious freedom is a Christian idea. It's an idea of the righteous. The wicked, in fact, must repress, they must shut down, they must censor all other viewpoints because all other viewpoints expose their wickedness. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. No one wants to come under the repression of the wicked. Look at Venezuela today. Look at China today. Look at Soviet Russia a generation ago. And many other places on the earth where repression and oppression by the wicked crushes every other viewpoint. 
It's the nature of wickedness. When it rises, people hide themselves. Why flee when no one pursues? That's the second half of my first pair of questions. Why flee when no one pursues? What is that signaling? What is it about this wicked person who, who's panicky and scared and they have to run, but they don't know who they're running from? What's going on? I think what's going on is a very similar reality to Romans chapter 1, where there's a kind of an irrationality that takes over a person who's engaging in sin. The way Paul says it is that there is a a, a darkness that's exchanged for the light of giving God thanks for his creation. When creation itself is worshipped and God is not worshipped, then a darkness comes over people's minds. A a moronic darkness, to use the Greek word. The way I say it is, sin makes you stupid. The wicked are running around away from people who aren't even chasing them. We know, in fact, that John chapter 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is in the world, convicting the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness, So, in fact, they might not be being pursued by any person, but they might be pursued by the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit himself is at work, even in the lives of unbelievers, mercifully, to pursue them so that they are running, and they're not sure who they're running from. The very first question they should ask is, God, is that you? Is my irrational fear that my sin is going to be found out or that my truest, closest friend is really going to betray me or or that someone is actually plotting against me or that there's someone trying to steal uh, what I have gathered and what I take such pride and idolatrous greed in? It's the human condition across the face of the earth and it constantly proclaims the truth of God's word that the wicked flee when no one pursues They're running from ghosts. Or to be more precise, they're running from the Holy Ghost. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The wicked are those who simply are trying to cover over their own transgressions by their own methods. They simply won't confess them to the Lord. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is not that the righteous do no wrong and the wicked only do wrong. That's not true. Both have done wrong. The righteous and the wicked. The wicked simply will not confess it before the Lord. They will not go to him for mercy. They simply say, I have no need of him. Look at Proverbs 28, 14 and 15. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That's a description of the wicked, the one who hardens his heart. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. So this is interesting, isn't it? Think deeply with me here. We were told up in verse 1 that the righteous are bold as a lion, so a lion is bold. A, A lion is regal and Fierce in in its resolve and strong and majestic and kingly. And that's what the righteous are like. But here, lions are also being compared, so also a charging bear to a wicked ruler over poor people. 
There's another aspect to a lion or a charging bear, and that is they're greedy and ravenous and thirsty and hungry, and they want to take advantage of the weak among them. And that's how the wicked are being compared to a lion or a bear here in verses 14 and 15. Their hard heart has make them greedy and they want to take advantage of the persons who are under them. And they almost feel like that I deserve the right to take advantage of the weak because I'm in the place of the strong. Who are the wicked? And why do they flee when no one pursues? They are the unbelievers, the ones who flee and reject God. They are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they are miserable under it, and they are constantly running and seeking, looking for escapes, looking for numbing substances, looking for some relief from this anxiety and despair and panic that says, I cannot make friends with my guilt. Second pair of questions, who are the righteous and why are they bold? Who are the righteous and why are they bold? It's not that they are the do-gooders. They have done evil as well. Solomon surely is speaking to his children, and they know the public sins of their father Solomon. And they certainly know the even more public fabled sins of their grandfather David. Surely those reading this and hearing this for the first time and every time since know that they're being spoken to by sinners who are still rightly called the righteous, for they have taken their sin to the Lord. Look at verses 25 and 26. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. The righteous are marked by a trust in the Lord, and they walk in the Lord's wisdom. They're bold as a lion. Where does that boldness come from? Look back again to verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Solomon is saying, children, I've received mercy. Your grandfather David, he too has received mercy. Read Psalm 51. Every dad in this room has to look to his children and say, you're looking to at a sinner who has received God's mercy. Every grandfather and father, every mother and grandmother and great-grandmother has received mercy as well. Every one of us who would call ourselves the righteous, who trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord because we have received His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy. That's the message we want to proclaim boldly. That's the message boldly proclaimed by the righteous. Look at verse 20, all the way down in chapter 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will will not go unpunished. Look back up at verse 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And verse 7, those who keep the law, the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. So the righteous are those whose sins are forgiven. The New Testament says if we we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, God through Christ is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise his name. That's what's happening here in Proverbs 28, 13, to the righteous. That cleanses their conscience. It removes the shame and guilt from their hearts. 
Oh, how many of the wicked, running with no one's pursuing, are going to counselors who are well-trained and well-educated and have good hearts, but don't ultimately give them the final solution, which is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The righteous are those with all their struggles and all their difficulties and all their propensities to bad habits and hardship, yet they have turned to the Lord, they have sought the Lord, they have sought to bring their sin before Him and confess it and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, there's no room for the righteous to become arrogant, although it's tempting. The boldness that the righteous have, the lion-like boldness, can't be faked. Proverbs 21-29 says this, A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. What's the wicked man doing there? He, he sees that the righteous are bold, and he says, I can do that too. Just because, just because you pray to God and you get your forgiveness for your sins, that's because you're weak. You need religion and God as a crutch. You're weak, says the wicked to the righteous. I can be bold too. Give me that bold mask. I'll put it on. Look out, everybody. Here comes Mr. Bold Man. Do you see the difference between the boldness of the righteous and the boldness of the wicked? There's a phony kind of boldness. There's a sham boldness. It's a mask that wicked people put on. That's why we saw just a few moments ago in verse 15 that a lion is a great image, royal and regal and powerful for the righteous, but it's also when he's ravenous and roaring like a charging bear is also a good illustration for a very wicked ruler. It's an image of greed and taking advantage of the weak. The wicked here are more like the devil himself. The righteous here are just like Jesus Christ. I remember I used to say, I don't think there's any cats in the Bible. I don't like cats. I like dogs. There's no cats in the Bible. But then I was invited in my daily Bible reading to think about these two realities, and that pertains to this point I'm making right now, this, this boldness that we're called to as righteous lion types, but not the ravenous lion of a masquerading, wicked person trying to pretend to be bold. You see what I'm distinguishing here? It struck me that the devil is like a lion prowling around. Oh, there's a cat. Ah, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah receiving praise forever. There's another cat. You have to think. You have to let the Bible's way of thinking settle into your mind and say, Lord, show me your glory in these pictures. Jonathan Edwards, America's greatest theologian, said it like this. There is a false boldness for Christ that only comes from pride. A man may rashly expose himself to the world's dislike and even deliberately provoke its displeasure and yet do so out of pride. True boldness for Christ transcends all. It is indifferent to the displeasure of either friends or foes. 
Boldness enables Christians to forsake all rather than Christ and to prefer to offend all rather than to offend Him. The righteous are simply those saved by grace, enjoying a clear conscience and surging with hope in God for the future and for today. They sleep like babies at night. Most babies, most of the time. Because their conscience is clear. Their heart is not condemned. They're sure of the cross. They're sure of the blood. They're sure of the second coming of Christ. They're sure of the promises of God. And they're sure of heaven. And they do not flee when there's absolutely no one pursuing them. So you look at the life of Paul. Look at the way boldness played such a crucial role in his preaching ministry in Acts 20. Listen carefully. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And I just want you to notice not only the word boldness, but the themes of it. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Why would anybody go where imprisonments and afflictions await them? But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Boldness on display. There is something in your life, some invitation, some opportunity, some relationship, some new thing that's coming in your life. God has put there by the Holy Spirit and he's testifying to you now while you're in this service that he's going to lead you into it and it might include afflictions. Be bold. Don't fake the boldness. Be bold. Fourteen centuries later, The reformer Martin Luther stands before the Catholic Church governmental overseers at the Diet of Worms in April of 1521, and he has been excommunicated as a heretic. He actually wasn't a heretic. He was teaching biblically, but the Roman Church had veered so far from biblical faithfulness that they counted his sound doctrine to be heresy. Here's what Luther said in front of all those who were hoping for his excommunication out of the city or death, whichever was necessary. Luther says, expose my errors, overthrow them by the writings of the prophets and evangelists. If I am shown my errors, I will be the first to throw my books upon the fire. Since you desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. Unless I am convinced by scripture or clear reason my conscience is captive to the word of God, I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Five centuries later, in 2019, at the early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, The entire church of 800 was shuttered, shut down. The building is rented out now, but it stands dusty since 2019, not having anything to do with COVID. But because Pastor Wang Yi 
and the other elders of the church and the teachers of the church and all the members of the church were proclaiming the gospel boldly, not just to one another inside the building, but out in the community in their portion and and section of Chengdu, China. And they were proclaiming it online and they were proclaiming it in every opportunity they could out in the parks, out on the streets, in the restaurants. So in 2019, the Chinese government came and cited Pastor Wang Yi with inciting subversion, and he he was arrested along with 100 members of his church. So he's having church in the Chengdu, China jail. I told you. All the rest of the 800 members were told by their leaders to go either into hiding or to leave the city, which they have done. One member of the church was interviewed without giving their name and said this, Early Rain Covenant Church is one of the few churches who dare to face what is wrong in our society. Most churches don't dare talk about this, but we obey strictly the Bible and we don't avoid anything. Suppose you have welling up within you a desire to be bold like Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Suppose that wells up in you. How would you do it? Four simple ways before we're done. One, receive it as a gift. Receive boldness as a gift. Christ bought it for you on the cross. There's more boldness awaiting you in the riches and storehouse of God than you've ever asked for or ever even dreamed. Listen to Ephesians 3.11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized God in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Go boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. There's more boldness in God than there is fear in you. Second, get gospel boldness by stirring and being stirred in community. Let every virtue of the Spirit grow in you, including the virtue of boldness. Notice how in Acts chapter 4, the early church gathered together and prayed for boldness. Third, pray for gospel boldness and ask for it. Paul prayed in Ephesians 6. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The Apostle Paul needed the saints at Ephesus to pray for him, the boldest guy they knew, to be bold as he preached the gospel. Fourth, think much about the glory of God. Why? Because thinking about the glory of God creates hope in you, and hope always shows up in boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I once heard a pastor friend make a resolve not to give way to fear with regard to public speaking, and he said to the Lord in a resolution, I will never turn down any opportunity for public speaking based on fear. What kind of resolution might you make today? How might the Lord prompt you to say, I am never going to step back from an opportunity to speak boldly because of fear? What if you made that resolution before the Lord? I have sought to make that resolution. I have sought to live by it. What if you join me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the plain theme of boldness, not only in Proverbs 28.1, but throughout the whole Bible. And I thank you for its experience in my life. I pray that it would be much more than it is, much more than it is in our church family, much more than it is in our, 
in the wider church in America and across the face of the planet. I ask you for boldness, Lord, just like Paul did. I pray for mine and for the boldness of these dear people. The conscience clear, heart uncondemned, lion-like boldness that they were saved to enjoy and the world so desperately needs. There are unbelievers in our lives, Lord, that are awaiting the blessing of our boldness. There are unbelievers in the hillside area, lakeside, Duluth Heights, Piedmont Heights, West End, Gary, Cloquet, and Superior. There are people online awaiting our kind and gracious biblical boldness. Don't let us put on any masks, Lord. Don't let us put on any phony bravado like you, like you find almost universally online. The cowardly bragging and boasting and roaring from behind their screens and keyboards. Cause real boldness to well up within us because we've really been forgiven of real sin by a real Savior and real grace. Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't tasted that kind of genuine boldness because they've never known that genuine, sweet cleansing of the heart and of the conscience, would you grant them such a desire as they will not leave till they have it today? Let them come to find a, a, a brother or sister to pray with them and a conversation confirming the promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Achieve the very boldness in us you command and so treasure, Lord. I ask it for Christ's sake and for our joy now and forever. And everyone said together, amen.